I invented yep. a straw, a top of straw the other day. Keep your straw thing to yourself. <clears throat> My family are functioning alcoholics almost across the board. See that chair it used to be gone. If it turned out koalas were good for erections, we'd be dragging them out of the trees. So much frothing. So much frothing. I didn't even get stomped in the dick. That's my junk. Yeah, put it away. What Welcome back to One Off The Wood, a fresh episode. Um, I think this is going to be one of the more interesting ones, um, for me anyway. So, Jeremiah, welcome to One Off The Wood. Thanks for having me, man. Mate, it's, it's sick. Well, you're having me, actually, because I'm at your house. You are here at my place. <laughs> While we're in um, Victoria, in the Burbs. What's this area called? Like it's the... in Montrose, which is kind of like the, the start of the Yarra Valley, you know, where all the wine is and the grapes and all that oh, kind yeah. of jazz. On the so door. I'm pretty much in the doorstep, like not too far away, and I've got some pretty decent wine. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's <laughs> all right. Um, so, obviously, we've met a long time ago, and we'll go through a bit of bit of that sort of stuff, but currently you work for yourself and Myself. company called? Uh, Bullfrog Pipes. Which are, what's the, I mean, pipes? So, a, I make tobacco smoking pipes. Like the old like school? Traditional tobacco, old school, grandpa sitting in the corner, puffing away on his pipe I make tobacco pipes and if you guys uh, you will see on the Instagram or if you haven't definitely get over to the Instagram you'll see Jeremiah has the yeah. classic uh, pipe smoker's beard as well definitely to, to match and we had a, I've lost my pipe but uh, we'll talk about that we in, a bit, in a bit but um, so Bullfrog Pipes your Instagram people want to jump on is at Bullfrog underscore pipes um, and uh, yeah, so jump over there and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about um, pipes. At the moment, we take them on off the wood. We've got the uh, Four Pines Pacific Ale, only because you're in Victoria. And whilst one off the wood is brought to you by Geordie Bay Brewing Co., um, famously brewed, uh, purchased, drunk, enjoyed frost on uh, Rottnest Island in WA. But we're in Victoria. So we're I'm drinking stuck New here. South Wales beer. Because Mark McDowell won't <laughs> fucking let me back. So, <laughs> nah. <laughs> so, <fun. laughs> so sorry, Jordy Bay. We'll be back soon to drink your tins. Um, but uh, yeah, a little Pacific Ale. Do you drink these much? Uh, not the Pacific so much, but I um, Four Pines Pale Ale is probably one of my sort of top five beers. So I was close. In You're pretty you. close. Yeah, probably but the, the Pacific Ale is not bad. They're all right. It's good session beer. Good session beer. Yeah, not too bad at all. So um, yeah, I think... So I want to start off, uh, as I said, so you and I, we actually met... Fuck, you would have been, I reckon, maybe like 10 or thereabouts. No, between 10 and 12, it's sketchy. Yeah. I can't remember, but it was back then. That sort of age. And we were camping at Wilson's Prom. So both our families grew up going to Wilson's Prom for Christmas. I used to go for Easter as well. And yeah. your family had one of the most uh, eccentric camp setups. Pretty um, much. It Pretty would, well known. It would take like a week to set up. They'd have a week there and then it'd take you, you know, three to four days to, to pack up. Yeah. But... Um, like the, it was like a, a little city. Yeah, the caravan. Yeah. Then like it, it was sort of a progression. I think when we first met, it was probably something very simple. Like my parents had a fourteen foot, actually I think it's smaller. I think it's thirteen and a half foot Millard mini caravan, had an annex on it, and it probably started off life like that when we first met down in I think Fourth Avenue, maybe Fourth Avenue. Yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. Fourth Fourth Avenue back then. And I think as sort of we got older and certainly it sort of capped out when I was about probably 18 or 20 and my parents stopped going there at Christmas time. But by the time it got to that point, we were the same caravan, the same annex, 
But then we had tarpaulins that covered the entire campsite. Uh, the whole the roof. Like it, was, it was like a circus tent. Pretty much. Up, but and with like the biggest tarps that were commercially available. Well, actually not commercially available because there was probably guys making circus handmade cups. stuff bigger. <laughs> but st- off the shelf sort of stuff. The whole ground was covered in grass, like tennis court grass. And it was literally tennis court grass because it was pulled out of a tennis court that my old man was on a job there. And it was like the sand was taken out of it and just the green grass. And the whole site was covered. Like when I think back about it now and I think back about my parents driving down there and how overloaded compared to today's (laughs) standards we would have been, it would be absolutely mental. And four kids. Four kids. Uh, Early days was the big truck. Later on, my old man was driving an old uh, Range Rover, like an 86 Range Rover. But man, we were way, way overloaded. Like, it was ridiculous. And then but it and was he epic. had um, the Hessian... Hessian screens. Yeah, yeah, for privacy. And if I recall, maybe even a doorbell. Yeah, yeah, no, there was a doorbell. There was, was a-, a doorbell there for a few years, yep. Because there was like a, almost like a kind of airlock set up. So when you walked in, you had to do like a zigzag through a like, thing. So you couldn't just see. It was see. an airlock. You couldn't see yeah, in. You couldn't yeah. see in. You couldn't see from any angle. You couldn't see into the campsite. Yep. And privacy. And yep. that, um, so compared to everyone else's setup, I think in the time we would have been in a tent, like a big ass three room canvas tent. Yeah. O'Brien's would have had their caravan set up. Yeah. Us kids, you know, just moving into getting our own little tents, tents and, and things. And pieces. But everyone's, you know, bikes and yeah, shit. Yeah, then you, your, your parents like, upgraded to a swan there for a little while. I think oh, it was, yeah. was a swan or yeah, an eagle? Yeah, it was eagle? a swan. J.K. Swan. Yeah, yeah. J.K. Swan. They had that for a little while. I think the O'Brien's went through a couple of different caravans yeah. over the time as well. And yeah, my, my parents kept the same caravan, just progressively made their campsite <laughs> more bigger. More and more stuff. Outside kitchen sink that was made up of literally a kitchen sink and then like a full yeah, aluminium was a full fold, yeah, fold out, like my old man and building shit. He'd spend the whole year just tinkering away, building Actually, he wouldn't. Oh, that's a total lie. He'd spend the last three days before we had to go <laughs> flat out furiously making stuff that he totally forgot about for the other, you know, 11 and a yeah. half months. It was a quality setup and you guys stood out. So the year that I've specifically remember us meeting, I would have been eight years old, seven or eight, and you guys had the... Matching bike helmets at That's the time. That's right. The coloured. Oh. They were a bit different to everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort they, of a they had, visor. They had a changeable top on it. The colour yes. on the top. I forget what they were called. And they yeah. had a visor on the front that made it like clip-on visor that made them look like a motorbike helmet. It had like, yep. the, the, the chin guard and the and the peak on the front. So you're just a bit different. You had this. There was some strange names. So Jeremiah, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, uh, Delia, Delia your, yep. your younger sister. So some strange names, these kids, but eccentric. But we liked... We wanted to get more involved with this family. And we'd obviously in those days, it was just bike bandits. Yeah, we were yeah. BMX club everywhere. And you guys had sick bikes too. Yeah, we had some pretty cool bikes. Like one of our things was, you know, my parents didn't have heaps of cash. So one of the things was that, and back then we probably would have had relatively new bikes actually. Because I think we did around that when I was probably somewhere between six and 10, we got new bikes for Christmas one year. But then every year after that, as the bikes would start looking tired, we'd pull them apart, spray paint them a new color and put them all back together again. And I remember I've still got my first bike. It's still here. And like I like changed it and put gyros on it and then like changed the brakes on it and then put, you know, freewheeling back wheels in and like, like it's the same frame that yep. I start, you know. And here's me frame. with my Kmart bike, brand my, new. Mine was pretty much Push the handlebars forward a little bit. <laughs> That's right. But like... <laughs> It, like all these iterations and then like the bike thing progressed. It was like, it was like first spray painting bikes. And then by the time I was like 16, we were making bikes. We were building our own bikes. Yeah. Your old man famously had 
that the stretch bike. They had to stretch so it was bike. like before yeah. these things were cool. He'd, he'd literally chopped the frame in half, joined it up. He'd, he'd changed like the yeah, pretty much like chopped it off just behind the front head stem and put long pipes on it. Used like a seat post, but then like integrated pipes into that. So it was like bits of a bike extended with other bits of a bike, and this was all old school world and this is no migs or tigs or anything like that this is all just bronzing and brazing and stuff like it's all old oxyacetylene welding he never did any mig welding tool much later so that's old school stuff old school stuff and they cruise around anyway so you can imagine like it might not have even been that year in fact i'm certain it wasn't but i got invited into the compound you know eventually <laughs> we got in we sort yeah. of twigged that we'd we've been to surfing a little bit as well you had some old boards i had some old beaters as well and yeah, we're sort I'm of figuring it out down at um down at Norman Bay there but I got invited in and you know it was as shocking on the inside as a young for a young kid as it was you know I thought it might be your mum toddles out of the caravan there in a leopard print g-string was that the leopard she had one? a top she would see, have had a top on she would have had a top but, on but <laughs> see my mum didn't wear them around on the beach she was like no. it was one of those things she always kind of wanted to but was very conscious about not upsetting like oh of all the things, like my mum didn't give a shit about upsetting anyone, right? She had dyed hair, like pink, orange, red, bright, everything, purple hair. And, she didn't and, care and about... all you boys had long hair as well. Yeah, which yeah. Was, so I, I had long hair. hair. I had like a killer mullet early days. I was so and, jealous yeah. as a young kid. And my, you know, my older brother had like this long ass fringe with short everywhere else that was bleached blonde, <laughs> yeah. and like it was it was wild. But my mum, like, she always wanted to wear a G-string on the beach, but would never do it because she was she didn't want to offend anyone, like, wearing it on the beach. So she, from my record, she only ever had two. She had, like, a leopard print one, and then she had one that was, like, a purple, but it had, like, a waist frilly waistband on it. So you couldn't right. quite tell that it was a G-string. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was classic, and you look, like, fast forward. Oh, right now. Liz would be loving it. The, oh, the right phase now. I mean, of, of to, bikinis. To be honest, it's kind of almost... She's a trendsetter. Trendsetter. Like, now, like... Where, where, do you, where do you draw the line? Like if the when, butt's not out, then, you but, know, like that's not bathers. You're wearing shorts. But this year, like there's 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 some young chicks wearing J-strings it, on the beach and it's just like... It's yeah, confronting. Wow. It's, it is conflicting. <laughs> it's very... As being a, a dad <laughs> of a young girl, it's very conflicting. <laughs> very, very weird. But yeah, no, I remember that um, very vividly <laughs> yeah. over, over a number of years. But um, obviously, yeah, so we hung out and grew up surfing together there yeah. and... Christmases and and oh mate all of the Christmases and, and it was good times down the prom but yeah like you've always been like that creative type the family it's yeah. obviously your old man you know, yeah massive influence but it's have a go at anything and doing a bit of art I think you and I had a little bit of special art that we had at one one yeah, year yeah, yeah. running around the prom <laughs> then what GOTP shout out to, don't, to, 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 don't, to, don't dive into that too much don't dive into that too much but let me just tell you there's a couple of them that still exist oh, that yeah. have been there for over 20 years <laughs> right? over 20 actually more like over 30 years so you know yeah yeah, there's a couple that we hid in some spots that you just wouldn't know, and they are literally still there. I checked at Christmas time. Oh dear, I've just got a message from Mark McGowan himself. Just let me pause for one second. Uh, oh, good, my GT GTG's approved. Still. Oh sweet, they've nice. already approved it, but they've just re-approved it. Re-approved it, good. Yeah. So does that mean you're allowed to go home? I don't know. I'm <laughs> I don't still, know. <laughs> I'm, it's approved, but I'm not really allowed I'm not to really go home sure at all. Sure, if I can go home or not yet. Anyway, by the time we listen to this, we might be we might be somewhere around uh, getting home. Yes. Well. So, obviously, we get older. We get a car. You were before me, um, but you wouldn't, you know, being the from your family, you wouldn't just get a car for your first car. Like, no. what did you, what were you driving? What did you turn up in to the prom the year you got your license? Well, it wasn't the year I got my license. Okay. So, so my old man when 
uh, when you first met me, was driving a 1969 International Harvester panel van, AB120 panel van. The photo's on the wall up there. So he it's stopped very... driving that about 1993, 1992 or 1993, around about then, because he bought a 86, 85 Range Rover back then. Um, and that sat in our backyard. And he actually purchased a second one that was uh, 10 years younger, um, but wasn't a driver, had no motor, but was a later model body, less rust, blah, 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 blah. And they both sat in my backyard. And when I was about 16, I bought an international ute and my idea was I was going to have a ute. I wanted an international ute. I wanted to hot rod it. I wanted to do all this. And, and the, so the internationals, you don't see them around very often. No. So they're, they're basically, it's fucking huge. Huge. They make the they're new patrol look yeah, small. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're a truck. They're the same size as an F250, F350, same width, same cab sizes. And so if you imagine any, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, well, 50s are a bit smaller, a bit slimmer in the shape, but like 60s, 70s, 80s, cab size, F3, F250, F350, same size as that. So when you're talking about a panel van, imagine a long tub F250 with a canopy on it and that's the size. Like it's at the old ambulance. The SEC used to run them as their service trucks. It's an old ambulance. Yep. yep. Huge. Huge. Big. Ma- massive. Big. And, but, so you see, I keep going. You, you got right, the yeah. truck. So, so I bought a ute. Didn't happen. When I was about 17, my old man always had this dream of, you know, building these two trucks into one good truck and then I did that when between when I was 17 and when I was 18 and I worked my ass as off as part of an apprenticeship or anything mm, or? no not just in the backyard just <laughs> yeah. in the backyard dad's so, apprenticeship yeah, yeah pretty much like yeah. and and to be honest like my old man was helping me out as we went along but he didn't really have heaps of time to help me out so it was like me figuring out and it was me teaching myself how to mig weld like doing body work I had no freaking idea what I was doing absolutely no idea and I was just working it out as I went like that, and that, and that's really the story of my whole like everything that I've done is watching and doing. And back then, there's no such thing as YouTube. Yeah, is literally figuring it out, fucking it up, and working out how to fix it. Yeah. So, for a year, I worked on this truck trying to make two good, one good one out of two trucks. And literally that Christmas, I was so close to having it finished, and we postponed leaving for the prom so that I could have it finished. And I got it out of the backyard halfway up the driveway and the carby was pumping fuel into the engine quicker than it could ignite it it was there was something wrong with the carby and i'd like totally rebuilt carbies everything right and there was something wrong something was open and it was just jetting fuel straight in there it wouldn't wouldn't start the car so i literally rolled it back down the backyard packed all my shit into my parents car and went on holidays devoed devastated devoed bustless bustless (laughs) <laughs> 18 years old no ride yeah and when you're 18 like man getting the license I feel so sorry for the crew that have gone turned 18 oh, you know over this the last, last 18 two, months what the oh my fuck? god you like you, your life is so short too when you're that age and then you're just looking forward to the freedom of having a car it's a total come of go age go wherever you want like getting yeah. in your car and having the freedom like more small so than the pub for me 100% like for me it was a bit different because when I turned I just turned 18 in December but back then I could have my motorbike license at 17, 9 months so I was riding my dirt bike to school like I had a full road registered dirt bike so I was riding it to school so I kind of already had a little bit of that freedom and you know so for me I had wheels I could do things I could go places like I just hop on my bike and go there right so I like the car thing wasn't as significant but yeah, like you say, the last 18 months, all these people, it's great, go get a license or you couldn't get a license. Where are you going to go? Especially yeah. if you're here in Melbourne. Like, couldn't go Just anywhere. Just unreal. Go to the I would have done my head in. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. All these poor kids missing out on all that stuff. So the year that you did come down the truck, it yep. wasn't that simple as fixing the engine. This thing had like, you'd remolded the bodywork. Yeah. So like like welded, the, there was a couple was of like body faults in them that co- collected rust. And Ru- I was going to say rust. Yeah, rusted mean? out. <laughs> yeah. So like remolded some of the roof line, changed the roof line. Because I had the panel van, the back um, wheel arches were like three folds of metal on top of each other. So they were shocking for rusting out. So I actually cut them out and I Frenched front guards onto back guards to actually give them like a flare. You kissed them on? I kissed them on. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. That's right. Just a little bit of weldy-weldy, a little yeah. bit, you know. And, a little um, bit of tongue, slip the tongue in and that's right. there you go. Much. Exactly right. And um, yeah, so there was a lot of body work. And then like, you know, had body lift. We're talking... You know, retempered springs with six inches of suspension lift, running thirty-five inch tires. Like back then, like here's I'm eighteen. It's twenty years ago. You know, actually twenty-two years ago, and I'm running thirty-fives back then. It was in, as intimidating as walking into the compound and seeing your mum in a leopard print G-string Pretty for the much. first it was time. An eye opener. <laughs> it was an eye opener. It turned heads, <laughs> and it was loud. It was running a V8 with straight three-inch pipes. Like it was loud and obnoxious. Oh yeah. You know, back before hoon laws were even a thing. Yep. You know, back before noise pollution was even a thing. Like, it was, yeah, it was pretty rough. It was humming. I got, I got followed a lot by cops back then because I had a big shiny P-plate in the back window of this And, a, and a matte car with like a camo yeah. home done spray paint. Yeah, because it, it had so many iterations of what colour it was. Because <laughs> when I got it done originally, it was in primer grey. And then like I did some body work on it, so it had primer grey with black over the top to get all the high and low spots out. So it was I was driving around with like this primer black truck with black spray all over it. Like it was crazy. Yeah, it's pretty wild looking, and I'm glad that the photos are here in the workshop. So I'll, I'll have to um, steal a couple yeah, off yeah. you. Absolutely. That's uh, yeah, the, certainly my first uh, memories of it. Anyway, yeah, it was, a, it was a, and I've still so, got it. So so you obviously the backyard apprenticeship, but you you're a chippy, right? Up. Never a qualified carpenter. So I, old man's a carpenter, uncle's a builder, and I started going to work with them on weekends when I was eight years old. I still remember my first day on the tools, and it wasn't long after that that I got my literal own nail bag and tool set because I wanted to be hands on. Like I was, it was like, no, nah, I'm You've never been here. one to stand off? No, nah, no yeah, way. It get was involved. like, get in, get involved, show. And like my old man was kind of reserved about like what tools I was and wasn't, but my yeah. uncle didn't give a shit. So it was great. So um, like by the age of 10, I'm using power tools, like nail guns and stuff. Were your other brothers into never, this? Never. Never? Nah. So my older brother, he was really into the books. Um, he wanted to be a paleontologist back then, so he was like reading yeah, all about kids dinosaurs. Kids were real into yeah, dinosaurs. Yeah, kids yeah. are still into dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, man. They don't even fucking exist, back, man. Like, back, wait, back when we were so kids, they didn't it? have the dinosaur train. Like, you know, the you what? think about that. Exactly. You don't know the dinosaur train. No. You've got no kids. Dorothy? Yeah, Dorothy. Dorothy. No, no, no. It's like, like educational shows that actually taught you shit. Like, you know, kids are watching ABC and playing bloody finger art. Like, these days, mate, some of that educational kids TV is bloody amazing. It's good quality. Oh, yeah, it? absolutely. So... Older brother was into the books. Younger brother, I don't even know what was he, he was into back then, but I wasn't probably paying attention and my <laughs> sister was too young. So, yeah, I think nah. she was into me back then, to be honest. Yeah, listen, there's, there was a fair few of them, let's be honest. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a mutual uh, there, you know, if I have an older sister about your yeah, age. But, you know, you're not you know, allowed to go there because uh, it's your sister. And no, I just remember going to your house one day and my initials were on your sister's ruler and it was quite con- confronting. Yeah, again. yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> probably a good point. Like, good, good looking you rooster, you know, a couple of years younger. 12 year old. <laughs> <laughs> Does not surprise me in the least. Eh? Classic, classic. 
Um, sorry, I just I distracted you. So you're on the building site for me so, yes. as a young fella, but yep. not qualified. Didn't never think you never qualified trade? as a carpenter. I started my pre apprenticeship when I was in high school as a carpenter, but I never really wanted to be a carpenter. I never really wanted to be on the tools. I never really wanted to be physically working as a carpenter. But I I end up doing it. I end up doing it. Um, you know, when I finished high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So everything by the sounds of everything it. pretty fucking much, you know, everything like there was I, I didn't really know there was no real guidance for me in high school as to where i should head up so i started down the path of like industrial design and graphics and stuff like that and to be honest it, it kind of wasn't me like it kind of was but kind of wasn't i wasn't i didn't love education enough to really study hard enough like i'm very much practical like i i hate computers i still hate computers but put something in front of me and say hey build that i'll work out how like yeah. I'll work out how, like whatever. I do not like, doubt that at all. Whatever it takes. So, you know, like, so the whole education thing really didn't suit me too well. So I went and started working for my old man and I did that for two years, just basically, yeah, working as a, as a carpenter on, on construction sites. So even though I didn't have a formal education as a carpenter, I'd been working, you know, on the tools in carpentry for so long that, you know, I kind of knew my way around, but not only carpentry, like I learned a lot of skills. My, my old man was sort of a jack of all trades. So, you know, I learned a lot of plastering skills and tiling skills and plumbing skills. So yeah, I'd do just about anything, you know. I know it's a big thing. I oh, don't do plumbing, don't do electrical, but, you know, we were still doing it ourselves anyway. So, you know, we might not have been doing fit off, but we're certainly doing rough in stuff. So, um, so yeah, so I did that for a while and decided that building was the way forward and um, went back to school and to, be, to become building supervisor instead. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah. so... I mean, it's a pretty big move to go out by yourself and and what you're doing now in Bullfrog Pipes is is pretty niche. Yeah. So how did that transition come about? Because you've, you've been yeah. doing that for a while. Like, yeah, how did so we end up that's, here? That sort of started. So so I've been, I was building supervising for 15 years, pretty much, you know. Um, and uh, around, I think, 2012-ish, I could probably tell you because the date's up on the wall over there, but around 2012... Um, I was having a conversation about cigars with my brother-in-law and he was like, oh, have you ever tried a pipe? Because I was into like occasionally smoking cigars. You know, cigars are pretty expensive things. So it's not one of those things that I was ever really into chooching on too much. But I enjoyed a cigar every now and again. And, and then he sort of mentioned the whole pipe situation and I like never really thought about it, never really been into it. But, you know, he sort of explained a few of the things to me about, you know, the, the tobacco and the differences in tobacco and a couple of these things and said I should check it out. So... I went and checked it out. I went down to one of the the only pipe and tobacco stores in Melbourne and bought myself a pipe and bought myself a little bit of tobacco and Give me took a shout it home out. and absolutely had no idea. Fried the crap out of my tongue, <laughs> heated up the pipe too much, like all the things that you should. Who's do. the store? Who is it? It was Alexander's. It's still in Turak. Yeah, yeah. So Alexander Cigar Merchants. They they sell some pipes. They sell some tobacco, but. It's not that great. Um, you know, obviously, when you're new to pipes and tobacco, you go in there and you go, wow, there's all this tobacco. And then you learn what really good tobacco is. And you go, well, actually, that's pretty average tobacco. So, um, you know, they're, they're mainly... Good shout out. That's a good shout out. Good sorry, shout so, out. Sorry, sorry Alexander. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still sour because they won't stock any of my pipes. Um, anyway, now the guy, listen, the guys down at Alexander is actually pretty good. And it's all family business. And I know a couple of the guys and I talk to them sort of, you know, every month or so. And... Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, so that sort of happened around that 2012 mark-ish. And, 
and I, I once I'd bought one and I tried to smoke one. I'm like, oh, I reckon I could make one of these. So I started investigating what they were made from and, you know, how they're made. And YouTube in 2012 was really starting to come into a thing, you know. So there was all these videos started popping up on how to make, not heaps, but these videos. And there was a couple of makers making some pipes. And I'm like, I can totally do this. So I looked at where to buy the materials from, where to buy the raw, you know, briar blocks from and what stem materials they were using and all that type of stuff. And I bought some. And I'm pretty sure I'm, I bought it at that stage from Pipe Makers Emporium. And it was, a, it was a store designed for guys making pipes. And I bought a couple of blocks and I bought a couple of things. And I actually made my brother-in-law a pipe. So I made him one. Uh, shortly after that, I uh, had purchased a metal lathe. And I, and I made myself a pipe. I, I turned one on a metal lathe. Because I'd noticed that these pipe maker guys were using metal lathes. But I actually bought a metal lathe for actually doing some car parts and some other bits and pieces. But I saw, oh, well, there's a crossover here. I can actually use a metal lathe for this. So, so yeah, so I made myself a pipe um, out of this. And, and that sort of happened around that sort of 2012 mark. And I made a couple, but nothing too serious. And I sort of just faded away. What's the sort of cost you're looking at to make you know, yourself a pipe? Cheap stuff, just make it. So if you, was... were to, if you were to buy, like one, apart from not being able to buy a briar in Australia, yep. so you've got import costs, right? Not any taxes or anything, but just the, the actual cost of shipping, right? What briar is the So briar timber. is the raw block. So that is the root burl of a white heath tree, mostly grown in the Mediterranean. So Italy, Greece, um, Algeria, France. Yeah. Biggest producers of briar. Okay. Right? So, so subterranean sort of root yep. burl gets chopped up, gets boiled um, to remove the tannins and stuff and gets sold to make pipes. Has f- since forever pipes were made out of a wood product. It has yep. been briar. Is is that just a... Uh, maybe I'm interrupting the, the progress story That's here, right. but is that just a... Um, historical thing why do they use that or, it's the qualities of the of the block itself it's super dense grain yeah so it's super super dense grain and can handle heat so it won't fall apart the grain doesn't open up and it can handle a fire being lit inside of it without actually burning itself yeah so could you use jarrah or something solid over here red so the, gum the, well the, the problem is with all our hardwoods one the grain for the actual tree itself isn't the right structure so on a on a burl grain potentially you could However, all of our native timbers in Australia are all toxic. Right. In what way? So all them, all of them, if you look at like the wood toxicity chart, all have some irritant, whether it be a respiratory irritant, a skin irritant, or an eye irritant. So the tannin within the timber irritates your system. And most of our Australian ones are respiratory irritants. So regardless of what you do like if you stand around a campfire right yep. say someone's throwing mally burls on there right flat out how do you feel the next day you wake up your throat's sore you got a cough yeah you've been standing around a campfire that's right yeah. and imagine doing that every day concentrate yeah concentrate okay. the, and and what happens to timber when you heat it up well all the tannins inside of it liquefy and if you're inhaling them into your mouth like oils oils and sort of things. that's yeah. right what does that do yeah it probably coats it it's like vaping you, you, it's probably like vaping exactly <laughs> yeah. right probably does some really bad bad damage listen no one no one knows for sure and no one tests it right but we know historically that briar has been used for pipes for so long that it is safe and there is cutters over in italy and france and stuff that have been cutting it for generations for the purpose of making pipes so we know that once their process and their boiling process is done the wood is safe enough to use 
for smoking tobacco. And I mean, let's let's be honest here. We're smoking tobacco. Yeah. You know, everyone's going to have a discussion about how that's harmful for your health anyway. But with stuff like Australian hardwoods, we know that the timber has an irritant and it has an irritant to your respiratory system. It's not worth taking the risk. And there's a couple of guys. There is a couple of guys in Australia that are making pipes out of Australian hardwood against what I would believe is safe judgment, but each to their own. Okay. So, uh, look, we won't recommend that if you are going to chip in, make your own pipe for, what, what 50 bucks, you know, a bit of a stem yeah, so, material. Yeah, so we went back to what's it worth, yeah. right? So, yeah. and if you were to make one yourself, let's say you wanted to make one tomorrow, what am I in for? Rightio. So, you go onto one of these websites over in the US, say, and you buy a block. So, you're going to buy... 15 US, so 20 Australian dollars for a block of briar, and you're going to buy a pre-made stem and that might cost you a couple of bucks, right? So you're going to be looking at, you know, sort of 25, 30 bucks in raw materials and you can buy pre-made kits, which the stem is attached to the block already. You just carve the carve the block into whatever shape. Yeah. So posted, you might be 50 or 60 bucks. That's not so bad. It's not terrible. And use hand tools, use your that's shit right. you got at home, it, wing you know, it. That's exactly yep. right. But we're talking low-grade briar, so relatively featureless might be some you might get a good one that's got some good feature but they do use low grade briar for those types of things yeah so, you know everything has its purpose king's king's camping gear works 100 percent, it know? works it just might not be as good as if you're going to use it every day then 100%. get the bushwhacker awning but if it's a once a you know horses for courses horses absolutely. for courses like, i'm all about it yeah yep. absolutely so you know there is definitely a difference between a block that's worth you know 15 us dollars to a block that's worth 70 us dollars yep. a block so you know so pretty cheap to, to make yourself. Pretty, so. pretty pretty inexpensive if you're just going out there and want to have a bit of fun, right? Shit, yeah. I'm convinced you know. already. I'm doing it. I'm moving on from spoons. Right, yeah. <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving on from so, spoons. So you got in, you made yourself a pipe. <laughs> made a couple of pipes. Yep. yep. And cool. then I this gave it a rest sick. for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then I was working out in the country uh, back in 2017. And I was working on a rural property, middle of nowhere. Is this on top of the hill? Yes. Oh, man. That's Down in a place called place. Tambo Crossing. Man, that place East looks Gippsland. so sick. Yeah. What is that? That's a big build. Anyway, we're getting the best. One point one million or something like that. Oh my god, that's good. I'm just going to grab a beer. Yeah, but I'm right here. Keep you grab going. a beer. I'll keep, keep talking. I'll, I'll talk to you like you're sitting still in your chair. <laughs> Rightio. So I was out there um, uh, working on this real property, and uh, I didn't have a whole lot of stuff to do after work because all the guys were local guys. That all bugger off home, but I was staying down there because it was you know 400 k's from home. And so, you know, after you take the dog for a walk or, you know, go, you know, poke around the bush and see what critters are about, there wasn't a whole lot to do. And I thought, geez, I could bring me pipe down here and have a pipe after work. This would be pretty rad. So I went home that weekend, rustled my pipes out of the cupboard, grabbed the tin of tobacco, took it back down there the next week and thought, hey, this shit's pretty cool. Um, this is, this is not bad at all. Um, you know, I should go home and I've still got a couple of blocks of briar there because I, you know, I never didn't buy one block. I thought, well, I'm paying for postage. I'll get a couple. So I, um, I came home and I, I made myself a pipe. Actually, uh, yeah, the pipe I made that weekend is sitting up on top of that rack with the colored, the red and silver and yellow stem. I think it is yep. right on that top rack. Yep. Yep. Um, so, um, just, just next to also a clock that you've made here that looked well, like the Ripco symbol. You'd almost recognize that one because yep, I made I you one that was in the local motion one. My first surfboard, yeah. <laughs> and, and, a, and a longboard uh, skateboard here that looks Mika boards you've made yourself as yeah, well. Yeah, it it goes tw- on and year, on. Year, tw- year 12 art People, project. If you get an invite into this shed, you're going to fucking love it. Um, <laughs> a bit of stuff kicking around. <laughs> yeah, they carry on. Yeah, so that pipe that's on the top rack on the bottom right. Yep, gotcha. Yeah, that one yeah, there. Sick. 
And I might have totally messed up the colours, but I'm colourblind, so I don't care. But so am I. Yeah. Join the club. True. It doesn't true matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't so matter. <laughs> you probably uh, understand what I was talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I made that pipe. Went back down there the next week. Was smoking that pipe, and when I was like smoking, I like I remembered meeting some guys in Melbourne at a at a actually at a deer hunting club meeting. There was a pipe smoker, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can find those guys that I met. So I started looking on social media, and sure enough, I found them and connected with them, and you know, had started having a chat and asking them where they bought tobacco from and all that type of stuff. And then one of them's like, hey, I want to buy a pipe off you. I'm like, shit, you know, I never thought about selling them or whatever, and. uh and he's like, yeah, you know, would you, would you make me a pipe? I'm like, sure, what do you want? And he sent me a photo. I didn't make a pipe anything like the fucking photo. That he had. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, let me be honest. Let me be like... absolutely honest. It was a reasonable looking pipe, but it was nothing like what he actually wanted, right? And So he was a pipe smoking guy, pipe, so he, he knew what pipe, he wanted. He, he, was, he knew what he wanted. He, he was a pipe smoker and, he, and he'd been over to pipe shows over in the US and all sorts of stuff. He knew what he was doing. And I made a him this pipe. A proper pipey, right? <laughs> And it was nothing like what he actually sent me a photo of what he wanted. It was nothing like it, but in my immature eyes to the pipe world, that was a pretty good representation. It was terrible. However, he still has the pipe and he cherishes the pipe. And I'm, I think he's only smoked it a couple of times, but he knows that he has the first bullfrog pipe. He has the first pipe. Because like in a rush to every, of everything there, I like what's important here, like... Well, every pipe maker has a stamp, right? And I can't sell a pipe if it's not stamped with my stamp. So while I was working away, I was furiously after work, working on what my stamp design was going to look like, which turns into the, it turned out the frog. Like, so I was like looking at bullfrog pipes, like bullfrogs, sorry, bullfrogs themselves. I'm looking at the bullfrogs and what's important about a bullfrog and blah, 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 and how to capture that shape. So I came up with the, with the logo and that became my stamp that's on the pipes. I found a local Melbourne company that would make me a stamp. Turns out it wasn't that great a stamp and I had to get another one made anyway, but it worked at the time. So, you know, and it was, he has the first pipe ever stamped by me. And he has the second one because I made another pipe at the time and he bought the second one as well. What did you sell it for? I think back then, maybe like 100, 150 bucks a pipe. Cover costs, a little bit Cover of money. Cover costs, a little bit of money. Probably took yeah, you how like, many hours to do? Oh, shit. I probably spent days on those pipes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it definitely wouldn't have paid for time. Like, but my first couple of spoons there. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know you know how it's like. You know, <laughs> your hand, like, it's well just true. hours and hours and hours. And like, you, you've got you've to do that. Like, that is like unrecoverable. Like, you just, you can't. Yeah, so, although, like in the, in the piping sort of world, a lot of people won't stamp their first pipes and they won't sell their first pipes. And I'd made a couple, but I'm talking, this was in my first four or five pipes and I'm, I'm selling pipes. And it was like one of those things that I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't even know that it was like, oh no, people don't sell their first, you know, 30 pipes. And I just give them away because it's like practice or whatever. I never knew. Like I, I wasn't that like into the pipe world that it was an even even thing to even know so like i only found that out like two years later when guys are like oh you turned up at a pipe show selling your pipes telling you've been making pipes like a year and a half and they're like what you're selling pipes i'm like yeah i'm like it, it's very similar to surfboard shaping you, yeah like you know you can shape a board and you probably do a few for yourself and your mates to figure yeah. it out and see what works and get some feedback and mm. but like you know a good surfboard shaper can charge a Corey Graham down in Torquay he charges 1200 bucks for yeah. a board that you know if I went and made I couldn't sell yeah like and you know you got to make a name for yourself yeah. I suppose in that oh, world and, and, and and pipes is kind of a funny thing right it's it's almost equally your name and the quality of what you make yeah 
So the quality of what you make definitely has, you know, something to do with how much you can sell a pipe for, but your name is also that too. So you've got to have enough pipes in smokers' hands for them to want your stuff. And you've got to make something pretty enough and equally smokable enough. Like, there's no point in making something pretty, but it smokes like a bag of shit. And when I say smokes like a bag of shit, I'm talking there is there is geometry within a in a pipe like that the, the chamber and the draft hole have to line up. And if they don't line up and it causes the pipe to gurgle, it's going to be a terrible smoke. And the gurgle is caused by condensation getting trapped within that draft hole. And as you breathe in, it just bubbles away because it's sitting in the bottom of it. So, you know, there's these geometry things that you've got to have to make a pipe smokable. If it's not smokable, it's not worth anything. So there's the technical side, then there's the pretty side, and then there's the name. And all those things kind of have to line up for you to actually sell your pipes at a reasonable sort of a, a price. Right. And so a, a couple of years in to, to yeah. making pipes and, you know, from 150 bucks, you've moved through to, to what, what would you sell a pipe today? What's the so, base model? So I, started, so, so I started making pipes on a fairly regular basis in like, let's say... 2017 and then 18, oh yes yeah, right? skipped ahead yeah. you, no 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 you, so that's, that's that's 17 18 is when i sort of so 17 so i started making them once i sold them to that friend then i kept on going i kept on going and i sold them to some other people and then i started the instagram and then that sort of started going and and that was yeah selling them relatively inexpensive less under 200 bucks a sort of pipe type thing and then that sort of progressed to you know, I was making pipes like on the weekends and every other minute of the day, you know. So, I was, you know, come home from work, I'd be making pipes. Come home on the weekends, I'm making pipes. And Just got you frothing. Got, got me frothing, like full on. And, uh, you know, every moment I had, I was in here making pipes and I'm shipping pipes and it's sort of growing and people are wanting. And then, you know, commissioning. What's a commission? All of a sudden, I've got people requesting pipes. They want me to make something specific for them. Like, oh, okay, cool. Didn't go so well the first time, but sure, I'll, but I'll sure, do it again. The first one, I mean, don't get me wrong. The first one's still a smokable pipe, but if I looked at it now, I'd definitely cringe because I look at some of the ones that I made and I look at them and go, oh my God, they're terrible. Right. So, yeah, that sort of progressed into, you know, and, and obviously one of the things is, you know, that you have to have some sort of an eye for detail and be fairly critical about your work. And Which I'm, is something that you learned early in, yeah. you know, the tough way that you were welding and the attention yeah. detail on your car yeah. and all these things that you put together in. Yeah, that's right. And, and like you, you had to look at things critically, like, you know, have you buggered it up? Have you put that back together correctly? Is that aligned properly? And, you know, I've grew up from a, you know, strong carpentry background where if it wasn't right, you just, that wasn't done like you just you fixed it you did it right you stopped you you worked it out and you you made it the way it was supposed to be it was never a uh that will do so i've never had the that will do you know and I've, I've got pipes here that are in a basket that'll never go out the door ever they'll never leave here because they are in the category of that won't do that won't do there's, there's a mark in it and like the the pettiest you look at it and go why wouldn't you sell that i'm like because it's got this and you're like i can't even see it that's just it's just who I am. Like I just refuse. I won't get won't get out this door if it's not right. So, with that in mind, so you know that's how my mindset was always that it had to be as good as I could do on the day. So now, moving back to your other question was, so started at like 150 bucks, and now my least expensive handmade pipe. And I'll qualify that in a minute, but my least expensive handmade pipe will probably start around four hundred and fifty bucks, to my most expensive being about fifteen hundred bucks. Wow, huge! 
Yeah. So at those sort of numbers, it started to become a profitable business. Yeah. So when I started getting to the sort of four to $500 a pipe type of mark, it started to become a bit where I was like, actually, I'm, I'm earning a bit of money out of this. I could take some time off building and do this for a little while and see how it felt. And that coupled with COVID was kind of like the perfect storm. It was coupled with a couple of things. You know, I'd been building for a family company for eight years at that stage, supervising. And, um, you know, it had been a long time and getting pretty tired and just, you know, eight years consistently doing the same job and the same employment, you know. So, I hear you. You know, you get to that point and, and we weren't as hungry anymore too. We were getting tired of clients that were dickheads and, you know, as, as <laughs> you do. A very similar story going on in, uh, in my <laughs> Listen, work Listen, and it happens to everyone. Let's, yeah. let's be honest about that. Like, you can lie about it, but that is absolutely the truth. Like, customers <laughs> being dickheads is like, why the fuck am I doing this? Like, literally, why am I doing this anymore? Why are you just bending over? Like, people just 100%. need to be fucking friendly. Yeah. My, I've got clients that are super needy. One of them particularly, the nicest guy of all time. And because every time he needs shit in a hurry, he says, hello, Warren, how are you? Yeah. How's your day? Excellent. He asks about something personal that he knows yeah. has happened. goes on, I really need this right now. Yeah. And, the, and this same guy, he'll call me on a Sunday and I'll pick that phone up yeah. and I'll drop shit and yeah. do it for him because he's so fucking nice. 100%. How and, hard and is it? When, I, when we decided that we'd stop building, right, we made a caveat that there were four, four clients that we worked for that if they called up and said we wanted something done, we'd go back and work from. And that's happening yep. this year. Like yeah, right. one of those clients, because those clients are the no fuss variety, right? You want a decision made, they make a decision. You come and say, well, we got this option, this option, this on, what would you like to do? Well, what if we do this option, this option? Okay, we can do that. Cool. Done. Do it. Sweet. We're not fluffing about. We're not waiting three weeks for a decision. There and done. The decision's made. Move on. Keep building. And you know, we, we were good builders. We're building good stuff, good quality stuff. That hence why we're getting a callback to go back and like yeah. we don't. I don't want to produce shit. I don't want to build a fucking average metric on home. I don't want to build some rubbish. I want to do something that's beautiful. I want someone to look and go, "Who the fuck built that?" That's what I want to build. So and it's the same thing in the pipes. That's the same thing in the pipes. I'm like, who built that? And you know, I like to think that now that's what my name is. Like, but, but people come looking for my pipes because they know what they're getting. So with. COVID, you guys were off work? So with COVID, no, no, it was not that we were off work. Is that we made the decision to not actively chase work, yep. right? So one of the guys um, uh, uh, pulled away from the, uh, from the business uh, and moved into state. Um, and then we sort of said, well, you know, things are slowing down a bit. I've got a heap of work. We're not real keen on where, where it's all heading. It's a bit uncertain at the moment. So how about we take a break? So we decided to call it quits and, um, you know, not, not, not totally uh, end, end the whole scenario, but just like, hey, well, I'm going to go and bake pies for a while. I've got, the, I've got a commission this that's three months long. How about I just stop working and I'll go and do that? And I did that September two years ago and I haven't been back to building since. Man, it, and it's amazing. Like your workshop that you've got in here, this is a proper setup these days because yeah. I've seen it progress on your Instagram and, you know. Yeah, so it literally started as about 10 square meters. It was like that corner just behind us here. Yep. And it was just that space. And, and now we've got three big... an extra big space. Three bays and a yeah. half bay behind me. And Yeah. And then last Christmas, I spent three weeks renovating, making, giving myself more room for more tools so I could spread out more because I just have too many tools. And But the right tool for the job 
makes the job very easy. That's right. As you showed us. So uh, one of the wood listeners will know that I've been into my spooning at the moment. Definitely into a bit Andy of knows I've been into spooning for a long time. He has. Yep. He's felt that intimacy. He wrote a song about me uh, called The Cuddle Machine. So he knows <laughs> he knows I love a good spoon. But um, yeah, I've been in the, the wooded spoon variety. The wooded spoon. So I bought a couple of pieces in for you to have a look at that yep. I made. A bit of timber from Trav in Tassie. Got some native cherry uh, a uh, uh, bit of hue and pine, yeah, celery top pine, that one, and a myrtle as yeah. well. And the myrtle one, I like, had sanded to like 800 grit, yeah, got it a bit wet, it burred up, sort of thing. And man, the you just showed me a bit of tool, a few few tools like on the polishing wheels over here. There's there's five wheels all lined up, different yeah. grits, a bit of polish on it, and yeah. and oh my god, this thing is yeah. like glowing the grain that you can see in it, and yeah. it's just opened up my eyes like I've. I was a bit flat on that spoon as yeah. it was a bit flat on yeah, me. It was a bit, it was, well, it kind of was flat because it had been sanded and, and beautifully sanded and, that, and that's all good. But the the thing with that is the, the grain's still kind of porous. It's kind of flat. You know, you've pushed over the top layer and it's all folded down flat. So it's kind of got this really matte look to it. So when you hit it with like a high speed wheel, that's still in the like the 800 grit sort of category, but it changes the way like, and especially if you rotate it around, say, say you're sanding flat out one direction. Well, if you go and buff it in the opposite direction, it pushes the fibers a different way. So those little tiny fibers on the top just snaps them straight off. And then all of a sudden you're just, you know, burring the top, flattening it right off. And all of a sudden you just change the whole dynamic of what the material looks like. Mate, it looks... Like it's been dipped in resin now. Yeah. Like this. Just timber, super glossy. Super glossy and like literally wax. Man, it's it blown my mind yeah. and I'm like, I'm going to make a jig and get a drill and yeah, man. get some buffing wheels. Definitely. And Variable we'll speed and, drill. Couple of buffs from, from Bunnings, mate. You know, have few, yourself sorted a few years no time, time. 450, 1500 bucks. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be sending spoons out, unique yeah, pieces. 100%. Uh, mate. I'll get myself stamped. <laughs> got to get I was going to say, you got to get yourself a little uh, stamp I haven't, on I haven't stamped yet. the first few pieces, but I'm not well, sold see, any. I'm giving away. Well, uh, see, you almost for something like you do, you might have to make yourself a brand. Branding yeah, iron to brand yeah, them with a heat yeah. brand, you know, because yep. they're all soft timbers. Like a, a, a little stamp might not be quite enough for you. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I'm done, done. It's happening. I'll set you but up I, with the right guy for the job for that. <laughs> Perfect. So, the, yeah, the, I mean, obviously, the, the setup that you've got here, you're in the backyard, you're working yeah. from home. From home. Like, like 15 tradie, metres from my back door is my workshop. Yeah. The tradie working from home. It's yeah. um, it's a it's a mint setup. Like, it's it is good. a mint setup. And you've enjoyed like, it? Like, yeah, like, apart from, like, the human interaction side of things, and obviously, with the whole last 18 months that we've all lived through, that's been tough anyway, but... You know, from someone who's gone from interacting every day with people on the building site to, um, to yeah, working at home by myself is different. You got the dog for company. Oh, he's here. You know, and especially in winter when the fire's going, he's like prime position right in front of that bad boy. He's loving life. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. No, that's, that's good. So, all right, well, let's get into some detail about actually making a pipe. So, right the timber, I've already forgotten what it's called. So, Briar. Yep. Take, take me through the process from start to finish, where you begin, what you use. All right. Where without, do you start? Without making it too I, let boring. Me guess, let me guess how it works. You, you start with the bowl. You you make it round on a on a um, lathe. Is that the spinning wheel kind Can of thing? Do, yes. Yeah. Whack it or a drill. Just drill a hole in. Zing. Yeah. Drill a hole in the other bit. end. Yep. Yep. And then you leave that chunky because that's easier. You attach the stem, which is made out of some sort of compressed rubbery sort of yeah, solid listen, sort of stuff. I mean, you've, you've told the story. Yep. Like, and uh, then you, you, there's pipe cleaners in there somewhere. Yeah. Maybe afterwards, you bend it, you chip it away, light it up. Light it up. Light it up. Done. That's pipe. Yeah, that's it. Pretty that's much. That's it, isn't it? 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should be doing it, not me. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. No, so take three. Right out. So you too. start with the raw material, block of briar. There's a couple of different ways of shaping that. One, like you said, you can put it on a lathe. You can drill the holes in it. You can shape the external of it. There's obviously going to be a point in time where you can only shape so much while it's attached to a lathe. You know, we're talking, it's got a bowl and it's got a like a shank. So the bit the stem's connected to. So you obviously can't shape both those two things while it's is, attached to the lathe. Is the shank just spinning around when you've got it? Yeah, so it's de- de- obviously yeah. depending on what sort of shape you're going. But let's say you're going for a very simple shape that's a, like a billiard shape. So it's a 90 degree angle. So that, you know, the chamber's vertical, the uh, draft hole is horizontal. Yep. And both of them are round. So you can turn those two things. Yep, you're on a lathe, up. round, right? Well, there's still going to be the square bit where the chamber side and the shank side meet. So you've still got to shape them by hand. So you'll take, say you go to the lathe, you drill the holes in it, you turn the outside, you take it to a sanding wheel, and you shape that square bit that was held in the lathe and you shape it all, smooth it all around to integrate those two pieces together. So you'll do that section of it. You might have already semi-shaped the stem to fit while it was on the lathe. So that in your drilled holes that everything faced up and sort of fit, you know, fit nice and tight and all that sort of stuff. So that is one way of shaping. The other way of shaping is what they refer to as freehand shaping where you actually shape the outside shape of the pipe first before you drill the holes in it. So you actually get a block, take it straight to a sanding wheel. Maybe you might go to the bandsaw and chop a little bit of excess material off first. You go to a shaping wheel and you shape the pipe shape itself before you even drill any holes in it. And then you go line it all up, put little alignment pegs on there and drill it freehand like that one. If you look at right behind yeah. you at the back, it's got little alignment pegs on it. Yeah, and you and you freehand drill it on the lathe afterwards. And okay, so this this design, like all of these yeah. designs, that's what's fucking cool about it. People got to check out your Instagram because yeah. it's See, almost. If you, if you look endless. at my Instagram, it's kind of a little bit confusing because people think I only make the one shape, which is the gum nut shape, right? So when I got into this whole pipe making thing, like there's no pipe makers in Australia. So I'm like, I was trying to think of what's a really iconic shape for Australia that I could make my own. And the gum nut sort of fitted into a pipe shape really well because it was kind of this obscure shape, but it wasn't too dissimilar to what a pipe kind of looked like. So I started out making a couple of these gum nut shapes and I, and I sold them as my gum nut shape. And that is today what people know me for making. And okay. I would have made well over 200 gum knot pipes in so many different varieties like my traditional one is like a devil ants shape which has got a lean forward on it and a straight shank and but i'd make like bent versions and bamboo versions and all sorts of different versions with the same or similar bowl shape which looks like if you're looking at it you go oh it's a gum nut yeah because it's like iconically australian and to me from looking at your gram it, it, now it doesn't stand out. I'm like, oh, there's yeah. a gum nut shape. Yeah. Is this all pipes? Yeah. But it's cl- clearly not. Yeah, no. see, like it's, it's not all I make, but it's because I do the predominant, like 75% of my work is commission-based work. Like people ask and me to export? make something. Are you sending export? Export, so yeah. 75% goes over, overseas. Like yep. maybe even 80% goes overseas and maybe 70% goes to the US. So, and because it's mostly commission-based work, and the, some of the retailers, it's what's requested. Like everyone wants to buy the gum nut pipes. So I end up making a lot of them. Although I do make other shapes when I have time, 
I do make a lot of gum nut style pies because that's what people want. Yep. And so this is your classic gum nut. Now, do you you sketch this up on the outside of the block? Yep. You don't get all your angles. Like you, you're yep. quite precise about it. Do you replicate them? Like so, the yes. Other, so that, that one, I use a stencil for my for the one that's pretty well replicated. I have a stencil and I have a few different stencils for some of the variations of the shape and they will all be similar angles set out via that stencil, all drilled, all shaped, pretty much. Like if you stacked 10 of them together, I've made the last 10 of the one particular style, they'd be all very close. Yeah, okay. Considering they are all still handmade, there is still a natural material that might have some flaws in it that you go, well, if I sand a little bit more and alter the shape here, I can get rid of that flaw or whatever happens to be. Something I learned through spooning is to Just let you, go of the wood. That's You've right. got so to... You can't keep this rigid process to it must look like this because sometimes the wood just doesn't let you do that. Yeah. So, you know, I set them out to try and, you know, maximize what I'm trying to achieve, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. That's, that's the nature of wood. Yeah. You know, the perfect example is that one at the end where you are. That's supposed to be a smooth. And if you look at the integration where the bowl meets the shank, there's that black line Yep. right there. Well, yep. that customer for that pipe wants a smooth, natural finished pipe, right? So you can't have any black dots in there. And that one's got a black dot in a position where I cannot sand any more of it out. So that pipe will end up being sandblasted. Right. Now, so this traditional gum nut yep. shape, it's got a smooth sort of uh, outside of the bowl on it, yep. the, the bit that you'd, you'd hold on to. This one here them holding, same thing, gum nut shape, but the outside of it looks like, you know, termites have had a yep. go at it. It, it. That And to me, it almost looks like you've picked up an old gum nut it just happens to have that shape on it. Like it's incredibly natural looking. But so especially that. So one of my favorite things, but, right? But that's all, you've done that. So I've done that, right? So, well, that one's a bit of a hybrid, right? That particular yep. one. Because sandblasting briar, especially when you cut the grain in a certain direction, reveals these textures in the wood. In terms of the soft timber the gets soft blasted The soft timber gets out. blasted away, the hard timber stays, right? Because that's what it looks like, an eroded, almost like no, a, right. a, a sand dune. I have natural gum nuts over wow. there that have been broken down by weather, been laying on the ground. The outside of the bark has deteriorated from the being wet. And yep. then when it's dried and peeled off, you're left with this layer underneath that's all like fibers. And that's kind of what it looks like, right? Yeah. So that one there in particular, though, I actually... I have gone and recarved the grain to make it more deep yep. and then sandblasted it again because the grain was a little bit insignificant on that one. Yeah, well, so, this is your sandblast. Sandblasting is a big yeah. red cabinet yeah. over there. But yeah. like those ones that we looked at over there that are nearly finished and that one with the bamboo, they are just, that is naturally blasted. That is just how it looks when it is sandblasted by itself. Amazing. And obviously stained and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, beautiful. All right, so you, you so, start with the bowl. What's next? Start with the bowl. Then, like for me, I cut all my own stems. But you might start with a pre-manufactured stem, someone who's like poured uh, an ebonite stem and you just tune it up, fit it to the pipe, and away you go. Then you, you'll go and sand it all to make it all smooth finishing and all that type of stuff. And so you've got a pipe that's roughly sanded, stem attached. You could literally go and smoke that pipe right now. Perfect. Right. So that's raw. So then you start looking at finishes. So, you know, some people will just go and sand it. They'll go and wax it. Job done. Job done. Any, any sort Na of wax? Natural finish. 
Mostly you can use beeswax, although beeswax is quite soft. So yeah, it's going um, to melt every time you light it up and you smoke it, the beeswax will melt. It'll melt into your hands. It'll become yeah. a sticky mess. So I use canuba wax. Now, canuba wax is edible, food-safe wax, um, and it's rock hard. So even when it heats up on a pipe, it still won't dissolve in your hand. Yep. So it has to get really hot to be able to dissolve. Leaves a really super glossy finish. So you can just leave it at that job done. Or you can start adding things like stains. So there's a few different methods for staining, but you can add stain, you can sand stain off. And what the stain will do is like anything, it'll soak into the softer material and won't soak into the hard material. So when you go and sand it, it starts revealing this amazing grain pattern because you start getting depth. So that's, that's the beautiful part the of beautiful what you were saying. Part. It's a functional pipe, yeah. but now you've got beautiful... That's right, because you're really trying to demand. enhance that. Yeah. And then there's all sorts of different ways of adding stain, removing stain to produce the optimal look for what you're going for. And that's, that is one area that I spent a lot of time on. And I've got boxes and boxes of stain samples of how to stain i never got taught how to stain i never looked at other pipe makers on how to stain apart from one and that's more recently i just worked it out i just started adding started removing trialing things adding other things to it and seeing what happened and all of a sudden i started producing results but i'd remember how i produced the results so i could do it again more recently when i was starting to try some even more wild expressions of how to deal with this stain i actually started keeping notes so you so, just do it off the top of your head. You yeah. remember. Yeah. And being colorblind as hell. Like yeah. I'm proper colorblind. Like not grayscale colorblind, but like on a scale of like one to 10 red and green, I'm like nine and a half. Yeah, right. Like I'm bad. So like color was never Terrible great. at cricket. Terrible at cricket. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Like don't ask me if that's red or brown. Don't ask me if that's blue or purple. It's just like, let's not have that conversation because it's not a good one to have. Like no good. So it was like for for me, like people don't quite understand like how I became good at staining when I'm so colorblind. But for me, it wasn't about what colors look terrible. And don't get me wrong, I have had some advice in between about, hey, what is this actual color? Because, you know, I could be making something that I think is beautiful golden color and it could be poo green. So <laughs> like you've I've got to be a little bit careful sometimes. Um, so yeah, it was just like teaching myself, like teaching myself, like adding color, removing color, putting another color over the top. What does it do? Like, what does it do? Oh, I fucked it up. Okay, we'll sand it all up again and start again. Like I wasn't ever afraid. And then when I started like wanting to be more ambitious, I just started using scraps. So use scraps, sand them up, polish them up to high grade and then stain them and see what happens. Well, what if I do this? And what if I add that? And what if I add more stain or less stain? And, and what if I sandblast it? And, you know, just experimenting with what I could to... Recent, and recently, I like admire another pipe maker over in, in the US who does this a really amazing contrast where his darks are dark, dark, and his lights are like white. And to get that much contrast out of a stain where you're putting it on and then removing some of it is quite extraordinary. So, but I've like in the last three days cracked how I think he does it. And I produced a pipe that I would say is so damn close to how white his whites are and how dark his darks are. Sounds like a nappy sand ad. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Watch this space. Watch this space. I'm going to yeah. be like the ad guy for nappy sand. Yeah. Epic. Um, while you're opening that beer. So next, um, next you go through the stains yep. and then you've got your stems and the stems are 
uh, like to a lot of people, you know, you've got the timber and the grain and it's just incredible in there, but it's the, it's the, um, the, the stem, you know, they've got like colors almost like artificial kind of side to it. They pop and a lot yeah. of your pipes have that yeah. real poppy bright colors. And things. Yeah. yeah. So that's one, one thing that I sort of really enjoyed was I loved the expression of color through the stems. So traditionally pipe stems were black. And one of my favorite stems, pipe stem is white. Because it's just white. Like, I like it. Like, yeah. Does it stain it. up when you smoke it? It does. But if you care, well, my particular one's acrylic. So that white acrylic doesn't stain. The acrylic doesn't change color. So predominantly, I will use a product which is ebonite or vulcanite. Ebonite is like a brand name as opposed to vulcanite being the actual product. Ebonite and vulcanite being the same thing, a vulcanized rubber. It's com- heated. What's, what's vulcanized? <clears throat> heated. heated, compressed rubber. Yep. That is the traditional material used for stem. So if you've ever seen that sort of poo green brown color that an old pipe looks like, that is just oxidized black ebonite. And if you sand that off like you saw with, with your PARS pipe today, you know, it started off that disgusting coppery almost well, color. Well, I thought that was the, the color. So yeah. just to chop, to chop in there. So my grandpa um, passed away a few years ago. My dad actually bought down, um, he had a bunch of pipes in a case beautiful old pipes and um because you've been making pipes dad dropped them off he thought you might like them yeah you know and put them in a cabinet and i turned up today and you still had them in your yeah. in your prize possessions cabinet in my, my grandpa's cabinet. uh yep. pipe set there in his case unpolished. the way they were literally in the same slips that they came man out. and it's it made me so proud to be like oh that's that's really cool and yeah. and so we, we took one out of the shed just before the podcast and um polished up the thing which i thought stem, was like yeah. a brass stem almost yeah. like yeah it was that sort of brassy color yeah and but it was, it's it was totally black. black it's just oxidized and that's that it just deteriorates with the exposure to oxygen but underneath it's still black yeah and we'll so, post a little video but we got yeah. to so we polished up the pipe cleaned yeah. it up with a pipe cleaner with a pop with which, an actual pipe cleaner so pipe which cleaners for actually meant for cleaning pipes younger listeners out there they're not for making art, art projects no, no they uh, clean for the, the fancy pipes. glittery versions that you buy at kmart <laughs> yeah. definitely for art projects but the traditional cotton versions definitely for cleaning pipes for cleaning pipes yeah and so yeah we got to pack some tobacco in it and and yeah. smoke smoke a pipe it was, it was really cool and yeah. i'm actually like i'm thinking about it now so yeah, yeah. Okay, i'd like to yeah do it again but that was that yeah. was quite cool so that, yeah. yeah that's the, the so those stuff. those stems are traditionally black right and and there is a lot of pipe makers out there that are very traditional in that they will only make black pipe stems but i like a bit of color and i'm not afraid of using color so i started looking around at what was available and you know there's a lot of acrylic options early days and it wasn't until I went to Chicago Pipe Show that I met the owners of a company uh, out of Germany that's called SEM that makes, they manufacture ebonite. And the owner of that company is equally as eccentric as my mum is. <laughs> and I could imagine her in her leopard G's all the way, right? And the colors of that she was making in ebonite were amazing. So now I spend a small fortune every year buying coloured ebonite off them. What is, what does it cost? Like for the premium stuff, for you get three or four stems out of. So so I've got some ones that are recent there that are probably two hundred and fifty mil long out of uh, a, a guy who's hand making that stuff out of China, and I think that works out to about fifty bucks Australian a length at two hundred fifty millimeters long, and I'd be lucky to get three stems out of that. Right. Right. Yeah. The stuff out of Germany for the same sort of size material is probably 50 us for the same amount 
It's expensive. Yep. It's definitely not cheap. Like in, I'll do one shipment usually a year from there and I'll spend between a thousand and two thousand Australian dollars on stem material. Right. So and, annually on stem material uh, from all the guys that I buy it from, I'll probably spend two and a half thousand dollars a year on stem material. Yeah, so it's an expensive business to yeah. to make mistakes with. Yeah, yeah, and and the blocks of briar aren't cheap. Like, you know, if you, I know we're diverting a bit from the process here, but like a box, a box of briar, so twenty five to thirty blocks will be a thousand Australian dollars. Yep. By the time it's shipped, so we're not talking about your your hobby grade stuff. We're talking about good grade stuff. So you know, every year, ten thousand dollars in briar. Yep. And then, like rough hours then. On, on a pipe. On a pipe, yeah. If you... So, if if I'm really going well and I'm making like a bulk quantity of a similar shape, you know, you spend anywhere from six to eight hours on a pipe. Wow. You know, because everything's handmade. Stems are handmade. And like an average stem will take, if, you, if you're having a good day, two hours. If you're having a shit day, four hours. Like for an average stem, if you're making some that are, that are more integrated or turned more or featured or whatever out of fat material and stuff like that, it might be longer. Yeah, just right. for the so stem. Th- there's plenty of plenty of time yeah. into it. Yeah, and then you think um, about the stumps where I'm doing like bamboo and stuff like this, and then you know I've got a bit of bamboo that's got 110 degrees of turn in it, and I'm pu- fully lining it with stainless steel. Like I'll spend eight hours just putting liner in it. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. And and do you ever, do you fuck them up much? Oh yeah, all the time. Bits like yeah, uh, drill through the sides of bamboo. Like you got to be real careful. Like and especially like some of the really bent stuff. It's not like it's easy to come by. How do like, you drill a curve in bamboo? You don't. You dremel it out bit by bit, or you drill some of it and you dremel it out, and then you try and hopefully like you know taken out enough out in the in the bendy part where you're not punching through the side of it. It's it's just hectic and it's it's frightening. That's why it takes eight hours because you got to do a little bit of time. If you go too hard too quick, you just drill a hole straight in the side of it like i've got i've done some thin shanks like that one we were looking at before right it's yep. so thin that you can feel the drill bit hot like drilled by hand like i literally put it in a drill chuck and hold the drill chuck in my hand and hand turn it because you can feel the drill bit going past your fingers holding onto the bamboo wow it's paper thin <laughs> that's that, yeah that's incredible that that's a pipe there for you know over a thousand dollars sort of thing yeah. I, I don't want to be holding that but you know there's enthusiasts mm-hmm. out there there's there a market are. for everything yeah as your kings, you know, some people buy ARB. They love it. That's right. Exactly right. They'll, they'll spend $5,000 on a bull bar that's only worth 50 cents. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> Mass produce. Now that's a... Uh, uh, and then, so what else is in the process then? You've... So obviously you've got staining. Yep. And then after staining, so depending on what you're doing, but like I oil my pipes. So I'll use a blended Danish oil, food grade safe, low toxicity oil to line the outside and what that'll do and you don't have to use it and i didn't at the very start but what that does is help lock in the color of the stain because what does happen with a pipe who's which is unoiled is that as the pipe heats up and you're holding it in your hand your hand sweats you're a little acid in your skin and it, it will take on the stain it'll suck the stain and also the oil out of your hands will start impregnating in the wood and you'll just start changing the color of the pipe where you lock it in with a with an oil it holds that stain color, makes it durable, and then you can wax it, and it just gives this really beautiful luster. Um, cool. And so, can you smoke weed in these pipes? Listen, you I'm can. asking for you, a friend. Listen, you, you can, like you can, but realistically, in the pipes that, that I make, they're too big. 
So yeah. although you could put some sprinkles on it, so if you had like tobacco in there, and, and you can't use just t- cigarette tobacco either because it's the, the cut of cigarette tobacco is not right for smoking in a pipe. It's too fine. It'll be too dense. You won't smoke it. It won't be enjoyable. So, so it's yeah. got to be pipe cut tobacco for pipe smoking, right? But you could put sprinkles in there. You certainly wouldn't want to load one bowl because one bowl... I mean, it's that. huge. Um, you could put your a little pipe, finger in a it. A standard pipe smoking bowl filled to the top will take about... <sighs> 30-odd. I don't know. Maybe it's three grams. Maybe it's three grams. I think it's three grams. I can't remember. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's the dimension of a bowl is about that one. It's 30, your little 30, finger 37, 37 millimetres deep by 19 millimetres across. Okay. Right. That's, so that's, that's big, right? You're packing a big bowl. So, realistically, it's too much. You can make pipes specific for that type of recreation. But you want the chamber to be in a V-shape. And you want it to be a lot smaller. Right. Because so the pipes you make, not for smoking Not weed. for smoking. Unless you're just putting a little sprinkle on top and you're having a little bit of fun like that. Yep. Roger. But then you're not also inhaling pipe smoke into your lungs. So when it comes to weed smoking, it doesn't really have the full effect if you're not doing that. So it's kind of a different smoking so experience. Let, take, take us through smoking the pipe then. We've got through the process of, of making one there... It's a lot like a cigar. You- Definitely. It's, a, it's for flavor. It's for taste. So you don't inhale it into your lungs. You, you bring it into your mouth and you blow it out and the flavor you know, holds in your mouth. Or you, might, you might blow it out your nose, which brings in different sensories because it's blowing past your smell senses. And yeah. Similar to, to like a wine, tasting yeah. a wine, you, you can swish it around your mouth. Yeah. You can, you know, roll it back and forth, yeah. come out in the nose. And for me, you know, smoking that pipe before, what, what was the tobacco we used? So that was Lane 1Q, which is a, like it's a, a, an aromatic tobacco, but it's topped and it's like a caramel vanilla. It's fucking delicious. It is. So a lot of people will get into pipe smoking by smoking those aromatic tobaccos because they are delicious. Yeah. It, it like uh, There's another one that's called Trout Stream and it's very, very similar. It's this very caramelly type flavor. It's very easy to smoke and very enjoyable. And the room note. So like if someone walks into the room and you're smoking that, they're not going to be offended. It doesn't smell yeah. like a cigarette. Is that, not, that's the difference between cigars as well. Because yeah. cigars are a bit rank. Like yeah. They might taste great in the mouth, but yeah. they're... Yeah, they're a bit rank, like to actually smell, but it's a it's a mix between you know a, an um, an incense sort of thing yeah. that you're enjoying, but but it's just it's that fruitier, thicker yeah. flavor and, and more more complex. Like I absolutely, think I there's a lot that, more going a lot on. More. There's a, there's a lot more of a profile. So yeah. I mean, we've we've had pipe smoking events in Melbourne where we've gone to a restaurant. <laughs> what is, how does that work? They're pipe meetups. So oh, just a meetup. Yeah, there's, there's like not a, like, a competition. No, no, no. Can, there is competitions yeah. across the world though for pipe smoking. Right. Long, long yeah. smoke competitions. Absolutely, there yeah. is. Like you know, you get you get a certain amount of tobacco. You get everyone gets the same pipe, and you get two matches, and it's who can smoke that bowl for the longest. <laughs> there is literal competitions. So, but we there's a, there's quite a pipe community in Australia. And like we've had meetups with guys with over 20, 25 people. And one, a couple of times we had it at a restaurant in, uh, in North Melbourne. And yeah, we, we were out the back smoking this particular, and it's a, it's a Peterson blend and it's a St. Patrick's Day blend. Really strong aromatic, but it's kind of a fruit and nut aromatic. And we had people from the restaurant coming out the back because they could smell us. So we're in the courtyard out the back smoking. And they were so curious about what on earth it was that we were smoking because it smelled so delicious in the restaurant. Wow. There yeah. you go. Thought the good old days, the good smoking, old days. Well, smoking. <laughs> That's exactly right. But they, they, um, yeah. So, so it is like you taste it in a wine, you roll yep. it around your mouth, you get the 
the sensation, yeah, um, that sort of thing. Not like a cigar. I mean, I mean, similar to a cigar, but not as offensive. Yeah, not like smoking a cigarette. Yeah, and definitely not like incense. The the flavor yeah. profiles and yeah. things, even as a passive smoker of yeah. the the bowl. Yeah, these um, quite interesting. So they tell me a bit about the tobacco itself. Like, where, where do you buy them? What are they sort of? What's it worth? So. So, to, well, like anything, tobacco in Australia, because of the tax and the way that the tax works in this country, is ridiculous. So, if you were to buy, let's say, a tin of tobacco over in the US, that tin of tobacco, and that tin of tobacco is, say, 50 grams, which is an average tin of tobacco. In the US, it'll cost you somewhere between 10 and $15 for the average tin. Well, that same tin is, in Australia, worth somewhere between 120 and 150 Australian dollars. Right? Well, yeah. How long out, does that sort of last you? Sort of, uh, so out of a tin, you'd probably get 30 bowls. Oh, it's quite a lot. Quite so a lot. It's, yeah. it's, it's a fair bit, but, right? Yeah. But still, it's expensive. Our, the duty on tobacco in Australia is over $1,000 a kilo, right? That's the duty. So so when you're buying tobacco, so there is a couple of places in Australia where you can buy pipe tobacco. Alexander's, like we mentioned before, there's another place. For, for Melbourne, we're quite lucky. Uh, we've got two actual retail stores you can go to. There's one in Frankston called Tobacco Blends, and they have quite a good range of tobacco. Alexander's, not so much. They have a lot of blends that they call their house blends, but they're just other blends that they've put in a jar that says got their name on it. You know, they've got a Navy flake. Well, it's a Peter Stokerby luxury Navy flake. It's not their own Navy flake, it's someone else's, right? At least the guys at Tobacco Blend, they just sell what they sell, branded what they are. If the guys at Alexander's actually sold it as Peter Stokerby Luxury Navy Flake, they'd probably sell more, but they're just whatever. <laughs> so, you can buy it there. A lot of guys used to buy it overseas and import it. And when it lands here, customs will open it. They'll send you the duty for it. You pay the duty, you get your tobacco. About two years ago, the Australian government decided that loose leaf tobacco was a prohibited substance. You couldn't, an illicit import. So... Why? What's the because because there was a lot of chop chop cigarettes coming into the country. So, oh, yep, yep. You know, people being you know, illegal cigarette tobacco, right? And they dumped pipe tobacco in with the illicit cigarette tobacco, right? However, cigars are exempt from this, right? So you can still import cigars and pay your duty, but you can't import pipe tobacco and pay your duty anymore, right? So that really put a damper in it because in Australia, you can only get so many different blends where if you look at America and Europe, there is so much pipe tobacco available, like so many different blends from so many different manufacturers that we just cannot buy here. So it's a real shame. I was fortunate enough that I bought a lot of tobacco prior to that. So I managed to get the blends that I like to smoke and enough of them to keep me occupied for quite some time. I don't have to worry about buying it right now. So... There's few jars. I won't give out your address, but uh, well, that's just the open ones. Few jars in the fridge there. That's just the open ones. Keep me in the fridge. There, for, there, there is there is fresh. there is bulk hiding in the cupboard. Ah, excellent. <laughs> the ones that are not open. And what you see in the fridge is probably ten percent of what I actually. You have. might need to put a kettle on because we've got a lot to get through then uh, after this podcast. <laughs> Go and make a couple of coffees. I, I haven't been around in a while, so <laughs> it's been uh, a little minute. It might be a while before Mark lets me back in, so we might have to uh, get through a few. But then. Um, yeah, I suppose, I, I, I mean, I'm full bottle. I'm actually a little bit itchy now to get back on that pipe, which uh, doesn't sound good. And you don't pull out. that as a sound, sound bite. <laughs> no, no, I get it. I you you got to be very careful. Don't hashtag that stuff because you'll get followers that you never <laughs> yeah. thought you had. <laughs> um, so if people want to have get one of your pipes, obviously they can yeah. see your Instagram, but yeah. how would they go about it? So a lot of I sell a lot of my stuff off Instagram. You know, um, the the interesting thing about selling pipes in Australia is that you can't 
sell a pipe on a website here with a picture of it in Australia. What? Yep. Yep. So it's it's illegal in Australia to have a have a pipe for sale on a website and have a picture of it. So I can have a written description of it. Yeah, but sketch? I can't hand sketch. No, no. Nothing. Nothing. Okay, but you However, can, you can yeah. sell bongs. Bongs are legitimate. Oh, you can right. have a photo of a bong, sell a bong from an Australian website, but a tobacco pipe, you cannot. Or as Cloud9 likes to call them, water yeah, pipes. Water pipes, exactly right. What the fuck? No, well, see, it's funny, right? Because originally when it came to bongs, they said, well, well, you can smoke tobacco out of it, and that's why we can have them, right? They're not for weed, they're for tobacco. But hang on a minute, I can't put a tobacco pipe up. But if someone's punching, smoking weed, as you just described, from... A There's a lot of difference between wide. a cone on a fucking bong to yeah. what's on that. Like a cone yeah. on a bong is maybe 10 millimeters deep, maybe 15 millimeters across, and that's for a big cone. We're talking, it's like this thing's got a bowl that's 10 times the size. Yeah, it's outrageous. Yeah. Okay, so how do you sell them then? So mostly on Instagram, people like I'll advertise them for sale on Instagram and Facebook. People will message me, hey, interested in that pipe? How much is it? Blah, blah, blah. Yep. I also do sell through some retailers. I sell through the Danish Pipe Shop. I sell through another couple of retailers in uh, England. And I have a wholesaler that um, supplies a couple of uh, brick and mortar stores in the US. Cool. And so you've got a website? I do have a website, but it's just a landing page that'll send you to my Instagram anyway. So, yeah, right. Get around. And I will at some stage. I'll spend some time actually developing a website, but it's only ever going to be a picture gallery anyway. So with these days, a picture gallery, not linked to the shop, not linked to a shop. So it'll just literally be. You need to write some code in there that that the people can get around, oh, and so you something. have the picture gallery. And it's like a little code written in the description yeah. that links back to the picture. Yeah, it's got to be something like that. So yeah, the blockchain will help yeah, doing that. That's somehow. right. So so most of the stuff is just literally through Instagram, and uh, you know, Instagram for all the social media downfalls that it does have, it's been wonderful for running a business. Yeah, hundred percent, and and kind of, I suppose, exposure. Uh, yeah, exposure, but also free of, um, you know, the regulations yeah, that you get and the rules. Right. But the exposure, you're right? Like you know, if people get on Australian pipes or or, or what, what's a yeah. common hashtag that people might get on in in uh smoking pipes or like tobacco pipe one. or tobacco, yeah yeah tobacco pipe or whatever yeah, not the other smoking pipe um so you'll find them you know get around these pictures and then yeah. you yeah that yeah. in the end is like i love that about instagram you know i've got into um knives lately just different knives and so instagram knows that and they yeah. throw me all these knives and I end up following yeah. all these knife pages and you, it's amazing you how the algorithm it. works but it and works for you yeah. i find yeah as well and it works for yeah. you as a business yeah. that you then get lumped in with oh yeah. your demographic you're in australia and they don't for you you're not paying like no, you are no, on facebook right. it's like well okay this person's australian in victoria they follow all these pipe pages here's here's bullfrog pipes yeah and it, it's kind Have of funny it. it's kind of funny how um how Facebook works, right? Because Facebook work, I can't pay for advertising, right? Because of what I'm selling. But it doesn't stop Facebook from every day. Advertising Every you. day sending me a message about advertising or boosting my really? products. <laughs> every day. Every day. But I've gone to try and boost my products and it says, I oh, know you can't because of the category of your product. <laughs> but they'll still send it to me every day. Man, that's that's, that's <laughs> cooked. Hey, um, uh, man, uh, this has been so interesting. Like, mm. I've loved it. I've actually loved kicking around the shop as well and mm. showing you and polishing up those uh, couple of spoons spoons for me yeah. and hopefully you might do a little bit more work after this but it's been yeah like I'm literally my eyes are wide mm. you know it, it's been sick um, getting along so I appreciate that we usually do a, we usually do every time we have um, the potty 
is this segment, What's Got You Frothing? What's Got Me Frothing? So, uh, so, so you have to describe to me what what's the what's got you frothing? What's like, got you frothing? What am I into right now? Like, what am I like? What's like, got you frothing can be anything. There's a tune. If Andy's editing this, yeah. play the tune, Andy. Yes, play the tune. Definitely so that kind tune. of shows you a few things about uh, what can get you frothing, but it can be any day, a song that just particularly got you frothing, you know, like sometimes you see a fat kid fall over and it just makes you, just hits the oh, tickle li- spot. Listen, and like, like, like funny memes on funny. Instagram, like there's there's, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's some crackers, right? But is there anything particular in the, in the last okay, day so, or two so let's, let's say in terms of pipe making, what's got me frothing? Like uh, literally yesterday, cracking how... Like I, I learnt some new things on my staining techniques yesterday, and that I was fucking excited. Like I'm not, That's I'm not talking problem. a little bit excited. Like I'm fucking excited because like I've been trying to work that out without like the guy who I who I admire for doing that finish knows that I've been trying to crack that finish because I've spoken to him about it. It's not a fucking secret, and I'm not pretending like I invented that 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 method. I don't know how he does it. He won't I, tell you. I haven't asked and I don't want to ask because uh, it's yeah. his thing yeah, and okay. I'm happy to admire it and I'm happy to work it out for myself. Yep. Wow. I have had the discussion and we, he knows and I will never ask him how he does it, right? But working out two things that fundamentally change how I'll ever finish that, do that finish ever again yesterday... 100% got me frothing. Proper frothing. Like That's a proper pipe shop Like frothing. a Carlton Cold Stubby opened like, on a dude, fence post. I could have like knocked <laughs> off work at 10 o'clock yesterday morning saying my day here is fucking done. Like I'm done. I've worked out. So that's in the pipe shop. In life and outside the pipe shop. I don't know, just running, I guess, at the moment. You like, fucked, that's I right. You've been, like, you've been frothing <laughs> on running. Like, and I guess I'm frothing because I do it every day. Like... I started at Christmas time. Yeah, and, like, and like the, I'm hating that you're enjoying running, right? Yeah. Because you, you know, six foot plus, six foot, you're exactly. a solid bloke. I've been called a big no, fella. No, no, I'm 97 kilos. Fuck me, I'm, I'm 94. Yeah, 97 kilos. kilos. Right. I look like I shouldn't weigh that much, but I do. <laughs> and like you know, you shouldn't enjoy running. You're not well, built like a runner. According to my BMI, I'm morbidly obese. Morbidly, yeah. Morbidly um, obese. Same, right? same, same, right? So like I, I'd never like BMI. So you can go fuck itself, right? But but oh. I refuse to be a skinny runner, right? And I started like losing some size on my legs from running. So I started going back to the gym to put it back on because I'm like, no, 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 this is not happening, right? And literally only, this is only like two months old. Like I literally went on Christmas holidays and I've been walking the dog while going to the gym and stuff. And I like to try and keep fit and active and I like to not be a small guy. Um, and... Uh, but when I went to the prom at Christmas time this year, I'm like, I'm really enjoying this walk and stuff. Wilson's Wil- promontory. Wilson's promontory for Park. those people. Tyler River to be exact. I decided that in my two and a bit weeks there, I wanted to do 100 kilometers of trails, right? And that's not walking to the Dunny Block, walking to the beach. That's, I'm going to go and walk this trail clock, right? And after the first week, I'd knocked over 100 Ks. And in the second week, I did 50 Ks in one day. And I was doing the Oberon from down, down to the lighthouse, lighthouse the and back. Yep. yep. So via Waterloo, and then some of the best scenery, like you'll get in Victoria, uh, pristine, can, untouched, and, and no one around because there's no a big one. barrier to entry. Like it, yeah. it looks a lot like the South Coast WA, but you can't get there with a full drive like you can in WA. Yeah. You've got to you've put got to walk. in the 50k loop and you've walk got, there. You've got to walk like yeah. to get to the lighthouse. Just I'll or, or put it to this way, right? So if you parked at the at the Mount Oberon car park and yeah, you Derby did Derby Saddle, the, uh, the, not Derby Saddle, but the Oberon. So like at the 
whatever that is up there. It's not Derby Saddle because Derby's it? ever at Derby. Oh, that's Derby, Derby. Whatever, whatever it is up there. That one. Yeah, that one. And um, if you walk from the car park to the lighthouse and back, that's 38 kilometres. Right, that's that is straight yep. down the road to the lighthouse. Turn around the lighthouse and work back thirty eight kilometers. Yep. Right, so I did that and come back into camp and turned into a fifty k loop in one day. And that's after only my biggest ever walk before that in one day was twenty k's, and that was two <laughs> days earlier. <laughs> killing right? it, so killing it. Right, so I kind of got the G for it, and then every day after that, I was walking Mount Oberon from Tidal River, which is a sixteen k loop and five hundred fifty meters of elevation every day. Straight up the hill, pop your mouth. No pipe in the mouth, but I was pushing like I'd do from the boom gate to the top of the mountain in 49 minutes. It's pretty good. That's moving. Yeah, it is that's, moving. That's going quick. So for walking, Pete, right? So then walking kind of got a little bit easy. And I'm like, actually, I'm feeling like running. Like I can actually do this running thing. Like, and I've never been a runner. Like I, I used to run a little bit, but not like anything like this. So I just started jogging came home from holidays and I'm like, well, I'm actually all right at this jogging business. I should do this a little bit more. I think I went back down to the prom on the 2nd of January and did a loop out to five mile and five mile beach is on the, on the north end of Tidal River, or north end of Wilson's Promontory and I've never been out there in all the years I've been camping down there. So um, the, the idea was to go out there and go to Johnny Suey Cove, but I got out to the top of five mile and I couldn't cross the river because it was too deep. And I didn't want to get my chest wet and I couldn't really tell where the track was. So I'm like, oh, this is too sketchy. I'm too far away. And same thing, you're 20 Ks from the car and there's no other way of getting back either by boat or walking. So like you go walk. So I did that and I'm like, actually, this is all right. And I came home the weekend after that. And I'm like, I wonder how far I can actually go. So I decided to do a 70 K. So I'm not too far from the Warby Trail. It's a fairly flat trail. It's not particularly hard. Not heaps Warburton. of Warburton. Warburton Trail, and it's the old uh, fire. It's the old train route. And so I'm like, well, it's not real hard. Let's see how far I can go. And I walked to Warburton and back in a day, 70 k's. And well, I ran the first 35 k's of it. Massive. And I'm like, oh shit, I can run 35 k's. Like. Uh, wow you shuffling are you doing a 35k pace so no so like there's no race pace but my 35ks was probably running six minute kilometers yeah yeah so it's not like good not 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 just like toddling around yeah you're not toddling not 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 toddling i think well so put it this way my average speed like so when i got out there so i got to 32k marker i walked the last three to make it 35 and i turned around and came back and my total average for the whole was eight minutes a kilometer so, Massive. not going slow. You just don't seem to do things like heart, by halves. No, no, not by yeah, halves. Yeah, and like yeah. to the point now where now I run every day. <laughs> just, just the new. This is a proper. Frog, well, the, the, so this is the thing, right? So literally, you get a little bit hooked on things. We sound very bit. similar. I, I get now, a little maybe addicted. This is why we and I, got along. Yeah, probably because <laughs> like I get a little addicted and then I get really into it and like I spend a heap of money doing it and I like I like get really fully committed. Like my snow gear. Like, you know, snowboarding. It's like, oh, well, I want to be a snowboarder. Okay, buy five jackets, two snowboards, three pairs of boots. Like, I'm a snowboarder now. Like, that's how it <laughs> yeah. works, you know? So, literally, like this year, like in the last two months, I've bought four new pairs of running shoes. Because, like, I'm a runner now, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, so right now in life, that's probably what's got me frothing. Like, I like I'm, it. Like, it's it's a good like, froth. Just about to enter my first marathon. And of all the first marathons, I'm going to go and do the Buffalo Stampede, which is, like, probably the most hectic marathon in Australia. Where, where does it? It's Mount it Buffalo hectic? to Bright. 
So it's got 1,700 metres of elevation and 2,700 metres of downhill. Right. Heavy on the knees. Very heavy on the knees. Sounds... Yeah, look, uh, I like it. And there's plenty of other stuff... um, I think we'll probably start to wind this up. But there's so many other things that, say, you know, examples of that. I, I, I like it in, you know, I grew up hunting with my old man and, yeah. and you didn't, but it's something you've got into yeah. as well. Later I didn't in pick life. up hunting till in my late 20s, really. Yeah, deer hunting and yeah. a bit Deer's, of duck hunting Deer and as duck, well. yeah. It's like... like and to the to the point where like on a, on a good year, like if we've got, a, when we can actually leave Melbourne, um, like I'll be out hunting like once every second week, like with now I hunt over a pointing dog, but like I was by the self, it was just stalking first. And now like I enjoy hunting with the dog more. So like, yeah, I'm out like bringing home venison. Stalking deer. Stalking way. deer. Yeah. 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 Not stalking like what <laughs> the other people are looking over yeah, fences. Like fences and picking that, <laughs> knickers off the line. None, <laughs> none of that sort of business, like stalking and, and harvesting deer. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, it's, it's grouse. And like, that's part of the, like, you know, I suppose hunting and being time in the bush and discovering somewhere new, like um, Scotty Turnbull said, you know, he's he's a mad surfer, but he's loved getting down in the Otways and finding a waterfall and finding, you know, yeah, somewhere man. new and discovering and pushing that edge. Yeah. And um, I was chatting to a friend in Torquay about how what I loved about Tassie is like you see a hill and it's like, I need to be on that hill. Like, yeah. I, and, you know, they felt it as well. It's like, yeah, you look at a hill and it's like, well, I need to find, I yeah. need to get to the top of it somehow. Yeah. And then I need to look down and see yeah. what's on the other side. Like it's that oh, urge that's there. Right? Absolutely. And like, and I think one of the, like finding true, like freedom, like you walking trails is great. Don't get me wrong. Like walking trails and seeing sights is great. Go take it and walk for 10 kilometers into the middle of nowhere. No trails. Like just into the bush. Walk, walk, 200 meters into the bush that's and then right. turn around and where the you're hell am fucking I? lost. That's right. And yeah. you know, so many people go, no, I just get lost. How do you find your way around? Well, nowadays I take a GPS, but when I first started, I never took a GPS. I had a map and a, and a compass. Yeah. I kept track of where I was walking. I kept track of where I was walking. I'm burping up my beer here. I'm trying not to put that in the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Track of where I was walking and just found my way back out. You know, read a map, worked out where I was and worked out how to walk out. Yeah. Nowadays, like, you know, with, when I, especially hunting with a dog, he's got a tracking collar on just in case. And I got a GPS that's tracking where I am. So, you know, if you get disorientated and you're coming out in the nighttime in the dark and stuff like that, it's a lot easier to, you know, sort of find your way out. But, you know, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. You get freedom. All of a sudden, you're finding these pockets, these gems of bushland that, you know, potentially no one's put a footstep in for ages. Yeah, I love it. You know, there's, there is still great. potentially valleys that no one has ever walked in within Victoria. You know, and that's pretty fascinating to me. Uh, uh, me too. I like it. I like yeah. it. I froth it. Oh, froth it. In fact. Absolutely. Hey, um, something else that people might um, froth, listeners of ours, touched on obviously the international at the start. You yeah. had some trippy cars, but you've done a fair mod job on your car <laughs> at the moment. So yeah. you've got an Instagram for it as well. What's the yeah, Instagram yeah. handle? Uh, Aussie underscore Dodge underscore Ram. So check out, um, check out that. Aussie underscore Dodge underscore Ram. I'll tag it in the show notes and on Instagram. But um, just your build on, on yeah. what you've got. You, you loving it? Like, yeah, so it's a, it's a 2007 Dodge Ram 2500. So it's a big tank with a 5.9 Cummins. Um, that is the last model before they put a DPF on. So that the year after that, they went put to the 6.7 liter and they put DPFs and, you know, for all this bloody greeny stuff. Um, so that is the last sort of very natural diesel goes in one end, big old turbo pumps out heaps of horsepower. 
and uh, it's just a great truck to drive. Fuck great yeah. truck to drive. Fuck yeah. and, the, and the mods on it, are like a lot of the snorkel and stuff you've yeah, done yourself. Yeah, yeah. So all all hand fabricated bull bar snorkel because you can't. There's a lot of stuff that you can't get, like a, especially because it's an American truck. There is a couple in Australia, but not heaps. Not like the Rams you see now. Like you know you. Think of you know 2019 plus Rams like so many here, especially 1500s. There are petrol version, obviously the 1500s. There are some small diesel versions. Plenty of 2500s, uh, but they're all like the new trucks, and they've got you can buy snorkels. But in my generation of truck, there was never really snorkels made for them, so everything's custom, like all fabricated here. Shit, yeah. So if you're into that sort of stuff, or you want to hit up Jeremiah about uh, asking some questions, yeah, ordering a pipe. Instagram's the go. Instagram um, is for the it. go. Mate, I've, I've appreciated you sitting down and no, having a chat. It's, been it's good epic. To chat. Like, you know, we've hung out a lot and over our lifetimes, but it's you never get to sort of sit down and, and, and catch up like this. So, yeah, like, absolutely. that's one of the things that I've been loving about the potty as well. So, yeah, it's been mint. Mate, thank, thanks for your time. Thanks for people for listening as well. Yeah, yeah. Thanks you know? for listening to me talk shit for an hour <laughs> and a bit or whatever it's been. I don't oh, even I think, know. I think they're going to enjoy it. I think if you've got to hear, you obviously enjoyed it. And, and yeah. I've enjoyed sitting at the other end and uh, in the workshop. Uh, something that's got me frothing today is seeing my grandpa's pipes. I mentioned it before yeah, in yeah. your show cabinet in the house and, and yep. bringing them out here, cleaning it up and, and you know, having a little toke on some and tobacco and thinking... Able to sit down and have finish that bad boy off. Absolutely. Yeah, what, that's uh, pretty awesome. What grandpa was up to and I don't know. It's, yeah, it's really cool. Um, I don't know because as heirloom. soon as we get off this thing and you light that up, I'm going to take a photo and send it to your old man. So. Yeah. <laughs> He'll love it. Pete, he will. Pete doesn't know that the potty exists still. Oh, yeah, so true. I can't do it. Well, you're going to have actually... to block him from your Instagram or something <laughs> while you promote this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How awkward. Um, so, yeah, we're going to we're gonna uh, chuff off and do that, we are, um, as you might say. Um, pack a... Put that in our pipe, pipe and smoke, smoke it. it. Literally. Is there any other cliches? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you know any more than are appropriate, really. <laughs> uh, but we're going to finish it off with a song. Um, yeah. Your choice. Song My choice. choice. Is is Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters Everlong, rip absolutely ripping choice, and we all know why. Because Wazza and I sat on his couch at his house watching the buddy Mark Ocalupo documentary way back, way back. Over. And that is the song over and over, over. And over again, <laughs> over again. And, and it was also and that Everlong was my alarm tone on my phone for a good five or seven years. Just that intro, I was waking up to that intro every day. It was mint. <laughs> Because it starts so good. Think about putting it as your ringtone. So, Food Fighters, Everlong, here it is. Listen to this as you wake up every day. Hell Jeremiah, yes. thank you very much. Thanks for having me, bro. And hooroo. See ya. Hey.